So how many have taken down your Christmas decorations already out there? Yeah, a number of hands already, even though we are still in the 12 days of Christmas. Today is the 11th day of Christmas, 11 pipers piping. So talking about Christmas, how many had relatives in or how many went out of town to be with relatives? Again, a lot of hands. Okay, let's be honest. How many of you want to get back to business as usual in life? And most of you do. I understand that. You know, our family one time tried to celebrate the whole 12 days of Christmas to have a gift reserved for every day. We lasted till about the seventh day of Christmas, and then it got really old, and we wanted to just move on. You know, I say that because I think it's interesting as we look at the gospel narratives throughout the Christmas season, it goes pretty quickly from scene to scene to scene. We had Christmas Eve and Christmas Day where we were at the manger and we were kneeling with shepherds and we heard angels sing. And then last week we had already the wise men had come and left and it was the slaughter of the innocents by Herod. The Holy Family went to Egypt and came back. And then today, as you heard, Jesus is now 12 years old. Tomorrow, Monday, begins the new season of Epiphany in the church and we end the Christmas season. And then next week is, John, is Jesus being baptized by John the Baptist and beginning his ministry. It definitely is a fast lane that we move through the Christmas season. But before we get to those points and before we move too fast, I do want to take a few minutes to look at this narrative that Luke gives us in his gospel about Jesus 12 years old. So open up your connection or take out the Bible to Luke 2 beginning at verse 40 and let's look at these words and what Luke records here for us about what's going on with Jesus. See if we can unpack this a little. Let's begin at verse 41. Luke says, every year Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem for the festival of the Passover and when he was 12 years old they went up to the festival according to the custom. Now you need to know some things here. The law required that every male had to at least one time in their life attend a Passover in Jerusalem. One time. But you notice Luke says every year Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem for the festival of Passover. Every year. Jesus is in a family where Joseph is that spiritual head that is a family that doesn't just meet the law in its minimum requirements, but they joyfully go up to Jerusalem every year. It's important to them to celebrate this Passover. They live three days away from Jerusalem. It's a 25-mile journey from Nazareth to Jerusalem. And it's a tough journey, and it's a dangerous journey. People traveled in caravans, large groups of people, simply for protection because it was a dangerous route as you made that ascent up and back from Jerusalem. Remember Jesus' parable of the Good Samaritan, how he went down to Jericho and was attacked in those mountain passes by robbers and thieves, so you needed all those people around. 
Well, Jesus, as Luke says, is 12 years old. The bar mitzvah, which technically made him now a son of the law, he was able to go up and to celebrate for his first time at the temple this Passover. Probably with wide-eyed wonder, looking at the buildings, looking at the structures, looking at all that had been put together to worship God. And then Luke goes on to tell us that something happened at that festival. After the festival was over, while his parents were returning home, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, but they were unaware of it. And thinking he was in their company, they traveled on for a day, and then they began looking for him among their relatives and friends, and when they did not find him, they went back to Jerusalem to look for him. Okay, if you're a parent... Have you ever lost your kid before? And you know that feeling in the pit of your stomach when it all hits you and you're like, oh no, where are they? What's happened? It's happened to us as parents. I remember when Nate was three years old because he was special needs. He couldn't walk yet, but he could really move fast as he crawled. And he was in the room where he would watch TV in the morning one summer day. And we were in the kitchen doing something and the room just off that and it was suddenly really quiet back there and went back to look and sure enough, somehow he got the sliding door open to the backyard and he wasn't there. And we went out in the backyard and there's no Nate. And we went in the front yard and there's no Nate. So we know he's crawled off somewhere, but we don't know where in the neighborhood. And the street that we live on ended at Square Lake and Woodward. So you begin to panic that it's busy. You begin to panic that somebody picked him up. We're looking all over the neighborhood. We're going to the house. Finally, one of the neighbors came over and said, are you looking for your son? Yes, yes, we are. And they said, well, he's a house down. He crawled up on their front porch. He's knocking at their door. We got him. That panic moment was over. And then we put in a fence after that. <laughs> so it wouldn't happen again. But you know what I'm saying, that feeling that happens when you lose your child. Now, don't think that Mary and Joseph were bad parents. What would usually happen in those caravans that I described as they would journey to and from Jerusalem, the men would take positions in the front and in the back for protection. The women and the children would kind of be in the middle. There would maybe even be some time between all of those journeys. And so it's easy that Joseph thought, well, Jesus is back with Mary and the rest of the group in the middle. It's easy for Mary to think, well, now that he's 12, he probably thought he was a man. He's up with the men going on ahead of them. They both assumed that, that he was there until they can't find him. And then they have that feeling, that feeling in their stomach, that feeling of worry. Jerusalem was a huge city, and Jesus wasn't with them. What has happened to him? And they have to go back. And Luke tells us then, after three days, they found him in the temple courts, sitting among the teachers, listening to them, and asking them questions. And everyone who heard him was amazed at his understanding and his answer. Three days. Well, we knew it was one day journey back, but then it took them two days to find him. Imagine that angst and that feeling. But I want to stop there with the panicked parents for a moment, and we'll pick back up with them in a minute. But I want you to think about that scene that Luke paints for us, of what's going on in that temple. And I want you to 
think about a couple of things. Here's a 12-year-old boy in the temple with scribes and Pharisees and Sadducees and all those legal people of the law and of the Scriptures. They could have just blown him off and paid no attention. He's a 12-year-old boy, but isn't it interesting that they didn't? They gave him the time of day. They listened to him and engaged with him. How important that is in his life, in our lives, to realize influence that we have and never to underestimate that with somebody who has a question, who wants to ask something. We need to remember that's important. But imagine that setting. Imagine that interchange that's going on with all of those learned people and with Jesus. You know, they had what they called the writings of the rabbis throughout the centuries, which were as a commentary on all the scriptures. Commentaries that would look at verse by verse and say, maybe what was David thinking here? What did he mean by this? Or Rabbi so-and-so thought this about this passage of scripture. They were unsure. They just had those comments that other men throughout history had made on scripture. But here it is with Jesus. You know, one commentator puts it this way on the writings of the rabbi. He says this, The writings of the rabbis were not indeed wholly devoid of moral significance, nor was it impossible to find here and there among them a noble thought, but they were more occupied, a thousandfold more, with Levitical minutiae, about keeping traditions and following rules. So most of what those writings were were empty. They didn't know what the interpretation of those scriptures were. And here now in their midst is the author. What an incredible scene that was. Jesus is being respectful as a 12-year-old boy, but he's putting to them questions, questions about the scriptures that he knows, and he's leading them along. He's bringing them to places that they never considered, leading them to see, indeed, the living God on all these pages. And Luke says, they were amazed. Oh, to have been there. But back to those panicked parents. Finally, we see that they have found him, and that panic turns to relief, and relief turns to frustration, and frustration turns to anger. And I love the way that Luke phrases this. When his parents saw him, They were astonished. That's a nice way of saying it. They were pretty upset with him. His mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. And Jesus, why were you searching for me? He asked. Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? And I really like the King James interpretation there. I think it's a little closer to the original. Didn't you know I had to be about my father's business? And they did not understand what he was saying to them. But he made that statement. And there it is to Mary and Joseph. I needed to be about my father's business. Jesus isn't going to be somebody who's going to follow in Joseph's trade his whole life. And Joseph, I'm sure, heard that and said, yeah, that's, that's true. I'm only his earthly father. And I'm sure Mary was thinking, again, this is just not a normal 12-year-old boy. Jesus' business was definitely not business 
as usual. You know, as I said in the beginning, how many of us, and it was most of us, want to get back to business as usual. But I would challenge us in this new year, a year where people make resolutions that we shouldn't be just about business as usual either. I think we this year should be about our Father's business, and I challenge us to this, to be in what it is that Jesus was in, that Word of God. First and foremost, what is our Father's business about? It's about transformation, transforming lives and changing them. You know, I don't know if you ever notice on electrical poles where you see them, those big gray things that are on the tops of them. Those are called transformers. Transformers have uh, a purpose in terms of taking that very high voltage and energy and power and stepping it down and bringing it into a useful form for you and I so that we're not killed by it. So it's something that we can use in our houses to warm and to use in different places. So it is with Jesus, the eternal God, who has all the power and the glory and the honor and the praise, who has the light and the salvation, who comes into this world to take on human flesh and to transform who he is into grace and peace and forgiveness for you and me. And Jesus brings down into our language who God is, his very word. And that's the challenge that I would make to you this new year. When we wonder what God is like, what does all this mean? Jesus is the one who leads us in his word to show us the truth of the Father who has loved us from eternity, who has sent his only Son to be our Savior. I would like to challenge us to find our lives in our Father's business, to be in that word so that we too may be transformed in this new year once again. I would challenge you to start somewhere, to start maybe for 15 minutes. More if you do it, and thank you if you do, but just read a psalm every day. Be in that transformational word that has the power that comes through those words to touch your lives and your heart, to strengthen you. Take on a gospel, but be in that word. Let the power of that word that has come down to us, that Jesus has spoken to us, be a part of this new year. That our lives may be transformed and that other lives may be transformed. You know, Paul uses that word in his second letter to the Corinthians when he says this, and we all, who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Truly, let us have this year be a year that we are not business as usual, but we are about our Father's business also being transformed in the Word of God, transforming our hearts and lives and bringing that transformation into our world that is so desperate and so in need of knowing who Jesus is and why He came. We pray with me? Jesus, thank You for Your transforming Word. 
word that brings to us who our Father truly is on every page, word that brings to us your transforming love and grace through your power and through your glory. Lord, transform our lives by that word once again, that our eyes may truly see our Savior who came into this world, and may that transformation touch our hearts and lives that we bring into the world your peace, your grace, your hope, and your light. We ask this in your name. Amen.